0: Little Feminist wants to help you diversify your child's bookshelf. Each month, they send one to two books featuring characters of underrepresented backgrounds. Little Feminist spends months consulting with a team of educators, librarians, and parents to pick out each book and create a suite of hands-on activities to accompany them. Whether it's treasure hunts or DIY musical instruments, the goal of the included activities is to make the stories come alive for both children and families. Go to littlefeminist.com and use the coupon code WINNER for $5 off when you order. Raise good humans, one children's book at a time. Support also comes from Storyteller Academy. Learn the art of storytelling and unlock your creative potential with a team of story coaches and published professionals helping you achieve your creative goals. Sign up today at storytelleracademy.com.
1: scientists, brain studiers, whatever, are saying that your brain's getting the same benefit from an audiobook as it does from reading it in in print. I'm sort of the opposite. I can't listen to an audiobook and hope to retain what I listen to because if I am listening to it, it's when I am again on a walk or a run or around the house. I don't just sit there and listen to it the way I would sit and read a book my eyes have to be engaged because if they're not my mind will wander and i'll miss things and i knew that because i had all the harry potter i we got all the stephen fry recordings and ripped the dvd cds and put them on so i could listen to them on my ipod and i would listen to them but i would catch myself looking at a tree or a squirrel or something and being momentarily distracted enough that i needed to go back over what was just said even though i had read the books in print already and actually maybe that's the, maybe that's the thing but i did try listening to i think i tried listening to echo and again i didn't find myself harmonies ryan yes and i did not find myself as engaged as i am when i'm i'm when it's in front of my eyes i, I don't know if it's a me being a, a scatterbrain tr- you know trying to multitask but my focus is not there for an audiobook it's 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 very strange for me but it just i can't i mean on a long car ride or something like that when i'm engaged in driving it might be different but it's really hard for me to concentrate
0: death. It can come out of nowhere. It can upend your life. It can make you feel lost and helpless and confused and all the other feelings. This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 542. I'm your host, Matthew Winner. Today, I'm speaking to debut picture book author Stephanie V.W. Lucianovic about the end of something wonderful. Stephanie's debut takes on a challenging topic through a compassionate voice The death of a pet can be practiced for children for when a family member passes, but it can also be an opportunity for a child to care deeply for another living thing. This is a big, awful thing, regardless of the fortitude or strength it may lend itself to later in life. Stephanie's approach to the loss of your something wonderful is, in my opinion, the way we should always be seeking to respond by seeing the child, and by meeting them in their grief. Please welcome my guest, Stephanie V.W. Lucianovic, author of The End of Something Wonderful.
1: My name is Stephanie Lucianovic, and my pronouns are her, hers, she... And I am an author, most recently, of children's book with my debut picture book, The End of Something Wonderful, just coming out last month.
0: Stephanie, I'm so grateful to have you on the
1: podcast. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me, Matthew. I'm so excited to be here. I want to say
0: to those listeners that have not met your book yet, that there's a subtitle here. And it's the subtitle and the cover that have drawn me inexplicably to your story. I think since we first met in a Twitter chat and that is that your full title of your book is called the end of something wonderful, a practical guide to a backyard funeral. And the cover has a girl with her ear to the ground. And I would say at least three quarters of the page of the cover is, is underground is the roots of the trees and just dirt. (laughs)
1: yes lovely dark chocolatey brown rich dirt so before i go
0: pondering too much as to the why can you please tell us the what what is this picture book for those that haven't had a chance
1: to discover it yet so this book is very much the what it seems to be from its title it is a It is a guide. It is a way in a lyrical format to process the mourning of a something wonderful, a a pet who has died. And it walks the reader, the child or the adult through the process of what you might need to do if you want to have a backyard funeral or a front yard funeral or a side yard funeral as a means of saying goodbye as a ritual that can help you get to that place where saying goodbye is a little bit easier, maybe a little bit less sad, but not necessarily so. Uh, It's a way to process your emotions and to come out on the other side, maybe feeling a little bit more hopeful of what you have lost and what you might still gain.
0: I found your approach to this storytelling to be really beautiful. Um, I felt, I found it to be sincere. There are a couple other books about uh, animals, pets passing, as well as family members that I think are really beautiful. Um, And I appreciate in this book, and I think I said as much on social media that you saved space for humor but more so that you save space for big emotions and for a child to really feel the significance of losing something that was that significant and that wonderful to that person. You as the adult, I think really modeled through your narration a respect for your readers and for children going through something like the loss of a pet, um, in a way that I found that, that you were teaching us. And I, I value that quality in your writing, Stephanie.
1: Well, thank you so much. That means so much to me. It For me, it really was important to have a tone that was sincere and empathetic, but also on the edge of humor, simply because that is how I tend to approach things. And I know it is how children approach things. They frequently, with their emotions, are right on the edge of laughter as we all can be when we're feeling big emotions there can be bursts of inappropriate laughter at time or I should say, I put inappropriate in quotes there because it's not inappropriate it's just your feelings it's your it's your reaction to something and i wanted to also make sure that there was still a little bit of lightness in the text so that it wasn't completely overwhelmed by sadness, because I think that can be hard to process as well. And I wanted to make sure to honor the fact that there are different people out there, different children who grieve in different ways. And some of us do grieve with humor. I think that um, the the way
0: that you save space for any pet from a pet like a a fish or a a cat or a guinea pig that might be more common to those that a child values that, again, others might find insignificant. In your case, from the introduction, like a pill bug or later in the book, there's humor worked in as we have these sort of absurd pets like a hippopotamus. But all along, and I, I really want to drive this home because this was something that this was, for me, the driving quality of why I've been talking about this book so much, Stephanie. And I want I want to see you in it, and I want you to know that I see you in it. The fact that you are leading children into moments of humor, but then stepping back and allowing them to stay there laughing or to come back into that sad feeling and know that that's that those are both okay. It's not, well, we've reached halfway through the book and now it's time for you to be better, to be over this and to start laughing. Never do you do that in this book. And I have to be honest with you and say that I was waiting for you to do that. I was waiting for you as this adult who knows everything to deceive children. And I was waiting to be upset at you, the adult doing that, because I feel like I work in a business where I've seen people not save space for children that way. And it makes me upset that people don't respect and save space for children that way. Sorry, I'm getting a little, um, I'm getting a little cut up in my emotion, but um, <laughs> I'm grateful that you did. It made me feel immediately uh, like, like you were a friend and you were an
1: ally to them. Matthew, you just gave me chills describing that because while that was definitely my subconscious intention, especially in the turn of the book where I say something like um, it may not feel like it's over at the end of the funeral, it may not feel like it's over. And that I wanted because it, it does, the grief does go on and I don't, I don't well, okay. Most importantly, I didn't want to lie to children in this. I didn't want to make them feel that they had to feel a certain way at the end of the book. And that they had to, okay, get over your emotions. Now it's time to move on. I wanted them to know that, no, it's it's up to you and your time to move on when you feel like it. And I didn't want to be that adult that made them think that I dictated the time or that the book dictated the time or that adults do, that it's right for the child when it's right for the child. And I wanted to be so honest. That's why I started the book very honestly. I wanted to get it all out there and not hide from the word dead. That is why the first line is, first, you need something dead. Because that to me is honest, but it's also got that touch of humor because I'm, it's like I'm making a laundry list and first, you need something dead, check. But I wanted that honesty there right away. So kids knew that we were talking about real stuff and that this, I was not going to lie to them.
0: I just dropped my copy of the book as I was flipping back to that first page, but I wonder. <laughs> um, I wonder first if, if you would mind if I read an excerpt of your text so that others can also feel that that care in your voice.
1: Is oh, that okay? Please. Yes,
0: please do. And then I'm gonna I'm gonna just tell you because I don't typically do this that I'm going to read the end because I don't feel like it spoils anything, but rather it it leaves us with where you leave those readers. The beginning does start. Um, yeah. First, you need something dead, meaning something that was once alive, but isn't any longer. Your something dead will most likely be something wonderful you loved very much as a pet, like a guinea pig or a fish, or perhaps a pill bug. But the uh, part that I want to read to the end is the part you were just referring to. And it goes like this. It's hard to know how to end a backyard funeral, because even when it's all over, it might feel like it isn't. And maybe it isn't. You see, it's possible you still aren't all the way ready to say goodbye to your something wonderful, and that is now your something dead. Maybe you want to curl up close to where you buried your something dead and have chats every so often. Maybe you want to read them your new library book on mummies or tell them about the third grader who threw up in the drinking fountain and clogged it. Maybe you just want to sit with your something dead and be quiet for a while. Whatever you want to do is just fine. Funerals come at the end of something wonderful. Just remember, it's not the end of everything. You can always begin something wonderful again. Stephanie, can you hear briefly? (laughs) Listeners, can you hear briefly uh, while I'm reading this? My daughter came in, and it's making me like here because I'm thinking about the people in her life. Yes, by squish, <laughs> she she was looking for mama, but <laughs> there was something profound in reading this book to her. And as I do with a lot of books, um, I read it to my kids cold. I didn't preview it first; I jumped right in, and that's where I say I had that um. Maybe the word is that I had skepticism because I think I approach all picture books now with skepticism. Having read a lot of books that I feel like don't necessarily center the reader, don't center the child and wanting to make sure that that's something we always do as hard as it is. And, um, and again, the way you care, I mean, the way you care for me, the reader, not knowing how old I am when, a reader steps in to read your book, but caring for all of us in the same way, making space for even adults that struggle with grief, that struggle with giving up, with loss. We had a a a, a, a dog that was the greatest dog ever, Avi, a Bernese mountain dog. We picked him out as a puppy and we had him for three years. Um, but in those three years, our son was born and um, Jonah had, Jonah was born with all the allergies but also mm-hmm. all the food allergies but also he um, was allergic not only to Avi's fur but also to his saliva um, uh, to his <laughs> to 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 Avi in all ways um, <laughs> okay. and some of that was what Avi was eating that we didn't realize and some of it was who knows what else um, but we had to say goodbye to Avi we had to rehome him and I will tell you, as a 38-year-old man who said goodbye to his dog nine years ago, that I still grieve the goodbye, Um, and that I think it's okay that children will grow, and they also can return to those, those thoughts and those memories and those places. And that your book reminds us that that's okay too, that there's not a right or wrong way to grieve and there's not a timeline on grief and that's okay.
1: Yes. I have to, well, first of all, I have to say one thing. Um, I have not had anyone read my books to me. I have been doing all the reading at events or to my children or to my family when I was writing it. So actually having it, having my own words read back to me is kind of, um, well, it made me very emotional. And I wasn't always emotional when I wrote this particular book. There's another book I've written that when I did preview it for my kids' classroom, um, I didn't know if I'd be able to get through it without sobbing. But um, so there's that. Uh, But also, yes, the goodbye is, it's hard. And This book came for me after we had lost two cats, fairly within quick succession of each other cats we had had since my husband and I lived in Boston, since before we had children. And I was trying to honor their memories. Um, And I had several attempts at at doing a, a death of a pet book. And it was my children's Experience or desire outside to be friends with pill bugs, and to bury pill bugs, maybe even when the pill bugs weren't ready to be buried yet. And thinking about <laughs> <laughs> thinking about um, how my older sister and I, growing up in Minneapolis, um, had lots of cats, and lots of those cats are in my parents' backyard. And something we did after church was to say, well, I think we should have a funeral. And it might not have been because a pet had just recently died, but it definitely was something that we felt like we wanted to do to think about that particular cat, whether it was Nutsy or Feisty or Ivan or Piewacket. And I thought, I wonder if kids still do this because our cats are right now enshrined in um, little, you know, uh, wooden box urns that are on my dresser or sometimes on our mantle and I thought we haven't done that process that my sister and I did where you are having a ceremony to say goodbye so I wanted that to be this book I thought that's an approach that I haven't seen yet and I think it's an important aspect possibly that kids are I know that kids are still out there doing this so, I wanted to honor that side of things too.
0: The Children's Book Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 125,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro FM, you get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there, but you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of the Children's Book Podcast can get a three month audiobook membership for the price of one month. Go to Libro.fm, that's Libro FM, that's L I B R O dot FM, and enter winner. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. Yes, yes, yes. I was just going to say that there's this thing that I have observed about children from 15 years in education and then raising two of my own that are still babies. My oldest is only nine, but that is that um, children develop and crave ritual, um, routine. Mm-hmm. That that sort of spontaneity is great, but there's there's a comfort in knowing that things. That, that, that things have a process and that the ground is still solid beneath your feet. And so I think one of the things that that I, I, upon reflection now, am noticing that's different about your book is not just the content that it's talking about, but rather the ritual of it, giving space to here's here's how you do this. Here's a guide to do this that can be repeated, that you can... Uh, share with a friend, that you can ask another person, did you did you say goodbye to your something wonderful? Did you have a ceremony for it? Did you bury it? Did you let go of it? Um, and that in teaching that ritual, we are able to be a comfort to others, because we're able to save that space for others to grieve in the way that they need to. This is a book that doesn't just serve the reader seeking a, a method of of grieving but rather it it serves the readers family and friends and their connections because it helps them with how to navigate through the world and I think yes that, that is a tremendous gift that you give them
1: well I appreciate that too because one of my best reviews so far has come from a uh, I think she's in third grade she's um, a daughter of a friend of mine and my friend reported back that she said this would be a good book to know what happens in people funerals too. And they had just recently attended their grand go there. Yeah. They had just recently attended, I think a grandparent's funeral and probably, I don't know that my friend and her husband said, okay, now this is what's going to happen. And this is what you're possibly going to see or do or where we'll sit. Um, I'm not sure if they did that, but you know, funerals for a person even can be scary, unexpected things and what's, who's going to be there and how am I supposed to act or who am I supposed to talk to? That can all be part of the anxiety of a, a child's mind. If they've never been to one, it can be in the anxiety of an adult mind, but usually we have gotten to a place where we've read enough or we know enough to expect. And I think we forget that so much is new for children that previewing what's to come can help can help with those anxieties
0: yes i have heard also from others that pets are great ways for children because of a lifespan of a pet it can be a great way for a child i don't mean to make light of this but to use the word uh to practice mm-hmm. to practice what it's like to honor someone's life and to have that 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 something wonderful pass i i I want to ask you this, and I want you to stop me if it's not the appropriate way to ask. But it strikes me that for many, many people, the or authors, the debut books that they release are often humorous, or they just feel like they're written to a wide market. That might be that I've attended too many conferences, and I've heard that, or I've (laughs) heard too many like talks about, quote unquote, what sells. I know as a reader and a reviewer, I, although I can't always tell what's a debut for someone, I have to be mm-hmm. honest about that. But I will say that I know that there are plenty of books that feel like they're written for mass appeal. And this to me does not strike me as an easy book to sell as a debut. It strikes me as a, as a, as a, as a librarian, as a very important and powerful book. Um, but I'd love if you don't mind sharing a little bit about whether or not you had hesitation on, on, uh, really on all of it on, on, is this the right book to be my first book? Um, is this even going to sell or maybe you just had a resonance because of your children that, that this is one that needs to be in the world. I wonder if you could speak on that a little.
1: Oh, definitely. It's a great question. Um, and it's it's not an uncomplicated answer for many reasons. Um, you, I think you're correct. I think you're right in in saying that typically this does not feel like what publishers would really go for. And I, I was told by agents and by publishers that grief books, death books are are hard to sell. And a lot of them said they have to be sort of as perfect as the 10th good thing about Barney by Judith Viorst. And that's sort of the gold standard. Mm. And I I was told by other publishers that really we find the best death books are the ones that focus on an individual pet, a, a specific pet, whereas this is sort of casting the net a little bit wider. So this book, I s- I basically sold this book without having an agent because although it got rejected a lot, I didn't give up on it because it did feel very important. And yes, it felt like a risk and it felt like a weird book in so many ways. So I kind of just kept putting it out there. Even during my agent search, it wasn't the book that got me my agent to, to offer representation and instead, it was something I had sent to a slush pile of a, of Sterling and of, of a couple of other publishing companies that accepted unagented manuscripts. And their offer, the email came in from the editor after I had representation. So I could turn over the negotiating to um, my agent after that. But it mm. was would not have probably been the book In fact, it wasn't going to be the book that my agent went out with uh, for the first time to put me on submission. It was when she wanted to see more of my work, it was one that I did show her and she did like it, but it definitely, yeah, I think that it would have been a more, let's just say a safer approach probably for my career if in the agent's eyes to go out with something else first get that out there build a little bit of name recognition before we hit them with this weird funny death filled book so it is a, it is it it's just sort of the matter of timing i guess that this is my debut
0: i think it speaks also to reminding writers that there's no one way and there's no correct answer on what sells and when whatever sells and what the market wants and what whatever ones. I mean, me as a reviewer reading so many books, I feel like this book spoke to me because I immediately saw readers in it. And I don't care if it's your first book or your 50th book. I'm, 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 I'm always looking for someone who sees the reader uh, and who, who speaks to the reader in a way that is kind and genuine and, and, affirms them. Even if it's the, the, again, the 50th book on Said topic or not, if you're doing it in a in a in a new way that speaks to the reader, then there's there's value beyond timing and there's value beyond debut or circumstances. But um, thank you for sharing the way that that things sort of um took an unconventional, if if we could even say unconventional, uh, a path for you.
1: Well you're you're right. You're right that it is there is no one way to do it and I I think that we hear the success stories of the typical way because it's probably the most common way but there definitely are the outlying ways that your first book gets published. And I'm I'm glad for this book that that's how it happened because the editor who wanted the book said she kept putting it aside, but couldn't stop thinking about it. It had been pulled from the slush pile by their, I think their either their art uh, director or an associate uh, designer had said, this is, I love this. And I think you're going to love it too. To the editor who said she couldn't stop thinking about it. And coincidentally at the time, her eight year old had become very interested in or curious about cemeteries and around the same time my now 10-year-old was an 8-year-old then and he his birthday request was he wanted to visit a cemetery which sounds incredibly bizarre and morbid but so are kids because they're curious he wanted he had a lot of questions about the headstones and what they said on them and we went to a local cemetery and sure. just talked about it and it's you know it was a very Um, typical thing in his development that kids at that age become so interested in death that they're reading about it. They're asking about it. Obviously it's a way of processing fear of the unknown. And that's the other thing about this book is that I've said this and I know it's, it's hard for parents to actually maybe do this, but I don't want this just to be a book that is a prescribed book that when you have an impending death, pet or otherwise that you know is happening or that happens suddenly that you go and get this book, wanted this to be more in that general tone of here's a safe place to talk about death, maybe before death comes. And so that's why I wanted it not to be specifically a cat or specifically a dog. I wanted it to be a general, I don't want to use the word survey because that sounds so clinical but a way that it's a little bit more regular. It's a little bit more normalized, that death isn't something to fear. There's a process and we can talk about it.
0: Yeah, and we, I mean, not not to sort of be um, abstract or absurd in any way, but this is a book I feel like that fits into books about gratefulness. We always make these books about what are you thankful for? What are you grateful for? But often they are pointing to things that we have or things we are looking forward to, but they don't point backward. And I think that this is a book that that serves that need of, I'm grateful for this time we had together. I'm grateful for these memories we built together. I'm grateful for having friends that can support me. I think a lot of that too, uh, um, and I'm sorry we've taken so long without mentioning his name, but George <laughs> Ermos, the illustrator in this book, did such a beautiful job in in especially for me depicting emotion on these children's faces because our readers look to the faces of characters for those cues on emotion and what's what is it okay to feel in this story that i'm experiencing and much as your text gives space for emotions to change so do george's uh illustrations and the the couple characters that we follow those those emotions they change and they can be interpreted different ways and there's space for that it's not now you see the kids smiling they're going to smile from here on out um and some of the characters actually end contemplative or, or or not smiling that's the last time we see them and i think it's okay to to remind ourselves that we can leave we can leave those grieving in a place where where it's still weighing on them and that's that doesn't diminish what it means to step into that grief with them and to see them in that grief.
1: Yeah, he, George's work blew me away. Um, so many times when I was sent initial art or spreads or anything to look at, um, I, I laughed and cried at the same time. Um, that last spread in particular, just it was never something I had in my mind. And in fact, there were, no, Well, maybe there's one art note in there because I had this idea that the narwhal would be buried vertically for the visual joke of having the horn point above the ground. But wisely, I'm sure my editor stripped out my art notes and George went with a hippopotamus. And I thought, oh, my God, there's a dead hippopotamus in this book. But then I was like, well, yeah, there is, because that's why I did say that. Um, and then the way he interpreted how to do that last spread which was a huge surprise to me, how he interpreted it. And again, one, I could not have imagined, except that it's so perfect and it's so resonant of what children experience, what I experienced. Uh, The same would go for the cover. So that'd be a combination of George's work and the um, designer, Irene Vandervoort, who also did the end pages the the two of them together to the end pages. Um, when I saw that cover, I was like, Oh my God, that's perfect. I, I mean, it's, it's a little bit dark. It's a little bit humorous and it's a little bit sad.
0: I think we need to save that space for the subversive because the subversive is often just the stuff we're afraid to talk about. Oh, we don't have the vocabulary to talk about. And it's in these books that we find that space to do that. So I, you know, we can sit here and talk for another three hours if you want, about (laughs) how much I am obsessed with this book. But what I really hope for, for you, being that as of recording, this book has been out for just about a month. I hope Stephanie, that this book reaches readers and that at least just a handful of those readers find the opportunity or the means to communicate back to you um, how they connected with or interacted with your story and the content in your story. Um, Because I think that there will be such a diverse amount of reactions to this book, just as there are diverse ways to grieve. And I think that Um, it's a beautiful thing how much space you've saved for so many readers in your story. Thank you for sharing it with me.
1: Well, thank you for saying all that, Matthew. I want you to know that all steps of my kidlit writing journey and this book in particular were accompanied by having your voice in my ears, listening to your podcast from the early days of when I first started writing and wondering and hoping and thinking about what your reaction might be to this book because i knew you were so thoughtful and introspective and so much in that mind of what children need and and should get from books that you were very present in the writing of this book and i just really want you to know that i think i've probably told you that before in direct messages or whatever but I just want you to know that so much of this has been, I wonder what Matthew Winner will think about this book. I wonder if he'll read it.
0: Well, from the Matthew Winner that misses his dog, I especially want to say thank you for seeing me Um, and for others like me. That means a lot. Um, To those readers that I will see and to those readers that will experience this book, I want to leave you with the last words, Stephanie, that I'll see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Is there a message that I can bring to them from you?
1: Yes. Um, So I've thought about this and maybe it's changed over the years about what I would say. Um, Because this was a weird book um, from the start, from the first line and from the idea of it being a debut book, but also because it, Writes about things that maybe people fear because they fear sadness or they fear emotion. I want children to know, don't be afraid to write your weirdness because it's going to be what makes you special, what makes your writing special. Being weird or being out of the regular what people consider the regular way of doing things, is not a bad thing. It's your strength. So go and write your weirdness.
2: This is Darshna Kiani, author of How to Wear a Sari, coming in fall 2020. Want to find out the latest South Asian books and children's literature? Check out wwwd icom forward slash SouthAsianKidLit The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by Matthew Winner in his library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 400 episodes at MatthewCwinner.com forward slash podcast. Our theme music is by Pottington Bear, Care of the Free Music Archive. All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and do not reflect ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out the show? Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that's a very good thing indeed.
0: Before we leave, I want to give a shout out to all of our patrons. Those folks who are supporting the podcast and helping keep the lights on care of our Patreon page. Thank you, Tracy, Hallie, Chris, Chris. Amy, Summer, Sarah, Kate, Darshna, Patricia, Amanda, Theo, Jarrett, Justin, Anitra, Selaja, Ailey, Suzanne, Mike, Steve, Mia, Karina, Adrian, Irene, Kate, Ed, Jenny Sue, Cynthia, Sylvie, Doug, Amanda, Judy, Ruth, Elaine, Teresa, Alicia, and others who are coming with me on this journey. You're welcome to join us. Just visit patreon.com slash Matthew C. Win and pick the support tier that's right for you. Teamwork makes the dream work, and each of you are helping to provide the tools necessary to make this podcast even greater. Thank you. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast.
2: Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtime's a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cosy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's KOKO Sleep and I'll see you there.